0: This is We Lead, presented by Voices of Public Health, the JSI podcast. The women who lead JSI's global health programs come from all walks of life. Their stories are as diverse as the countries where they work and the people they serve. In this series, we'll hear from women in leadership at JSI to learn more about their personal and professional journeys and what they've discovered along the way. Hi. I'm Haley Doughty, a program officer in JSI's International Division. Thanks for tuning in. On today's episode of We Lead, we're talking with Dr. Ainura Ibrahimova, Chief of Party of the USAID Cure Tuberculosis Project in the Kyrgyz Republic. Ainura has more than 20 years of experience building and strengthening dialogues among national and international health organizations, governments, and donors. Since 2014, she has led USAID-funded tuberculosis activities in the Kyrgyz Republic, which is widely regarded as a leader in the global fight against TB. She served as Deputy Minister of Health in the Kyrgyz Republic from 2000 to 2008, and before that, she helped establish the country's first mandatory health insurance fund. Ainurda has a background in medicine with training in public health, health economics and financing, and public policy. She joins us today from Bishkek. Hi, Ainurda. How are you today? Hello, Holly. Happy to hear you. Welcome to the show and thank you very much for joining us. You are our guest star for today's episode of We Lead. As you know, this campaign is a celebration of JSI's women leaders, their work and their unique stories that have helped really shape their public health journeys. So I personally am very excited to have the opportunity to hear your story today And I mean, I understand that you've had quite an exciting career and a very accomplished one. And I know that our listeners are going to be very eager to hear about your successes, um, as well as, you know, the lessons you've learned along the way. Um, But before, you know, we delve into all of that, I would really love to just hear what your friends and how your team would describe you.
1: I think that, you know, they describe me, I think they consider me as a teacher or mentor. Because this is very young and, uh, you know, just extremely dedicated uh, people, some of them not experienced, and I really just put a lot of emphasis for, you know, leading them and, uh, you know, just to help them become a very good professional. As for my friends, I think that uh, they can describe me as a pioneer because I was born on Pioneer Day, This is uh, the Soviet time, you know. Just was uh, celebrating, and uh, you know, just through all my life, I they just uh, laughing that I act as a pioneer.
0: And it sounds like being born on Pioneer Day is a very auspicious day to be born, (laughs) and quite fitting for the rest of your career, from the sounds of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe. And so let's go ahead and dive in to hear about your journey um, to and through public health. So I know that when did you first become interested in public health? More specifically, how did you know that this is the work that you were passionate about?
1: Actually, I start my career as a clinician, as a cardiologist, and I loved this work. And in 1991, uh, you know, that the Soviet Union collapsed and the country faced just enormous problem. And it happened that uh, in uh, the hospital where I'm working, simply disappeared all kinds of drugs. I'm a young doctor and I simply did not have the things to help my patients. It was terrible. And I start to think, you know, what it is necessary to do just to help the country to, you know, just to address these enormous problems and challenges our country face. And in 1994, Ministry of Health announced the recruitment of group of experts to develop the first health sector reform program. And it was a big competition. And uh, actually, I passed through all of this competition, and I was among 25 who were included in the expert group. And since 1994, my career as a public health specialist started. And, you know, just I never were sorry that I uh, just did this because it was just absolutely new life. Absolutely new era in my career and it, it was really very interesting because I just at the very beginning of uh, building something new.
0: For you and maybe also for your that group of people, did you feel any sort of pressure or burden um, for doing this such a huge lift at this time or was it what was the feeling of the group at the time?
1: I think that the feeling of the group was just responsibility. Because it was all of them, almost all of them were young uh, who were selected in this group and uh, unexperienced. They knew very little, but they had this huge enthusiasm. They wanted to do something. And uh, actually this team, WHO, Ministry of Health, invest a lot. And all these 25 people were considered as uh, changing leaders, I would say. And the uh, WHO put uh, many effort to train them, uh, these people, these experts. And uh, at the same time, it was very interesting time just to uh, start to learn what is uh, the Soviet system, what is uh, the weaknesses of the system, and why it happened that the health system just collapsed, and the country cannot afford the system anymore and what to do, and it was a lot of different brainstorming and so on. So it was really a very interesting time. It completed uh, when the very first strategy on health reform has been developed. And then uh, many of these experts actually were then sent to different places to start to implement this. So this is uh, the history of starting of health reform.
0: We're pioneers, for sure. And I love hearing just about the enthusiasm of all the young professionals who are coming together to make such a huge change. That's so, it's beautiful. I imagine, so this happened within a period of two to three years, right? So you guys must have been very busy.
1: Yes, it was about three years. And actually, it was time when you learn something, doing. This is very interesting, because we just came, knew very little, And, you know, just a huge responsibility which we put on our shoulders It was necessary to develop something new. We uh, learned a lot to develop this uh, strategy and to apply maybe that uh, theory to the situation in Kyrgyzstan. And yes, we were very busy, but it was, you know, just one of the happiest maybe time uh, in my life.
0: So as Kyrgyzstan is developing this new health system, from your perspective, what were sort of the main priorities? The country
1: could not afford the system which uh, country inherited from the Soviet Union time because it was a very big system with a, network, a huge network of hospitals and it was inefficient. So it was uh, necessary to develop efficient system, and at the same time, the system, you know, the principles of the system need to be the effectiveness or maybe fairness, uh, equity, and universal coverage. And at the same time, the system needs to be efficient. And it means that uh, a lot of different, actually, directions uh, were planned, like uh, restructuring of hospital uh, sector, uh, strengthening of primary health care level, then introduce uh, new payment mechanisms, uh, which, you know, just paying not for infrastructure, but for, for results, uh, and uh, introduce this the split, uh, provider payment split. Be- because in the Soviet time, it was, you know, just one system, Ministry of Health, They were producing health services, and at the same time, they actually pay for the services. So one uh, agency, they just were responsible for all of this, and it was necessary to split this. So, you know, um, everything which was planned now very sustained because what we actually did, all these huge, big changes has been put in the law. And now we have in our legislation all of this uh, restructuring, things, new payment mechanism and so on. So even the uh, maybe some political forces, uh, they would like to change something. It is very difficult because it's now put it in our legislation.
0: I imagine since the reform, you've probably seen tons and tons of changes within Kyrgyzstan and its health system or its health landscape specifically. Are there any particular milestones that you recall, either of late or perhaps even more immediately after the reform process occurred? I think that there uh, there are few. You know, just
1: very first I could recall. This is adoption uh, by the our Georgian our parliament uh, the law on single payer, because to develop this uh, provider and uh, purchaser split, it was extremely difficult, extremely. And uh, to develop this law and then to advocate for this and to make sure that uh, the government and uh, parliament, they understand you and they support you, it was really, to reach it, it was just extremely difficult. And when we Just uh, learn that this law has been adopted. It was like, you know, huge, huge victory. Uh, Another victory, this is, again, adoption of health protection law. So, you know, just the adoption of these laws, they make sure that it is very difficult to go back. I think that one interesting history, this is uh, how the uh, chapter on uh, health system and on health has been adopted in the Constitution. In 2005, after our uh, very first revolution, the government changed Constitution. And I don't know how it happened. But the reduction of constitution was absolutely wrong. It was saying that everyone have right to reach first aid. And it means that there is no health system. There is only free of charge, first aid. So it was terrible. And uh, you know, when we were trying to change this uh, norm of constitution, this is a, are you crazy? To make changes in the constitution, this is just impossible. And we tried several times, and it was just uh, nothing. We could not do this. And then another constitution came in 2010. This is kind of behavior behavior of our politicians, so they again start to change constitution. And at that time, I, I was freelance consultant. I realized that there is historical window. We can change constitution now. No one actually was thinking about this. People was absolutely, you know, just uh, in such stress and uh, they did not understand what to do. I called to a lady, she is NGO, actual leader, and said that, did you see this norm of constitution? She said, No. I said, just look. She said, terrible. And I said that let's change it. And you know, all people running around trying to change. The authority level, you know, just what is the responsibilities and right of president, uh, parliament, government, so on. And we, with uh, this uh, tool, uh, with lady running to change uh, the constitution on health, I mean, the chapter on constitution. And we make it. I would like to say that this is possible when just one person could do the changes if the person could recognize and use the historical window. And we use this and actually change. And now, you know, just our chapter on uh, health and constitution, just
0: quite good. And uh, yeah, it was done by two ladies. Amazing For two women to have such a huge impact, it's truly, truly remarkable.
1: Uh, But because we recognize this historical window, I think that my message is that, uh, you know, if the historical window sometimes just opening, so it is uh, possible to do just remarkable changes, uh, which for years you was not able to do. Because, you know, I was trying to do this in five years and nothing, nothing.
0: And then, you know, we did this for two weeks. You're kind of behind the scenes making all these amazing changes. And what was the reception like from the public about some of these changes?
1: The mentality of our people from the very beginning was that uh, something happening, the person just must go to hospital. You know, And they never consider primary health care as a that level, you know, they want not to, you know, they want to use. And uh, it it was really very difficult to change the mentality of the people, to persuade people that uh, it's much, much more convenient for them to use primary health care. And for this, it was necessary to strengthen primary health care. It is necessary to provide them good choice, another choice, but it should be good choice, you know. Another thing I think that, uh, you know, very interesting, when uh, the government declared that the government going to provide services within the state guaranteed benefit package and the people need to pay, it was necessary to declare this for the Soviet people who used to get services for free. And uh, it was really, for me, it was just a little bit scared when we start piloting and uh, introduce this state-guaranteed benefit package, and we organize a very big campaign to uh, informing public that in this oblast, we are now starting to implement state-guaranteed benefit package, and this is package, and you need to pay official co-payment. I was expecting, you know, the tsunami. I was expecting that seemed that people was will be very, very upset. But you know, people admitted and it was really very interesting. So just again for me, if the government and officials are working right away with the people, providing and not lying them, you know, just they promised this
0: and they provide this. And as you look back, what feelings sort of come to mind when you think back to that time period? I think
1: that uh, if uh, just to go back, the team who were leading these processes, they really must be proud of uh, what was uh, developed. I have to say that because everything in the law, it's hard to change it you know, despite that uh, some political forces try to do, you know, from
0: time to time. And so I kind of wanted to switch gears a little bit. And as a as a leader of the project team, what responsibility do you feel um, for cultivating the leadership of your team?
1: I think that because they are very young, I think that uh, what is the... Maybe a strategy for leadership uh, if you have such a team. This is just to develop or to introduce conditions in which each member of the team has the opportunity to create, to think, to do something, you know, and to have fun. Because they are young, they're really eager to bring something new to make difference for the, you know, just in the sphere they are working. And uh, I think that the responsibility, again, maybe task of the leader, just to watch very close uh, uh, and to uh, to try to find the best features and uh, maybe some weaknesses, and to make sure that uh, these uh, good features, you know, growing. And um, if uh, you just recognize these weaknesses, so just to develop such team that weaknesses of one member team uh, be covered by the strengths of another team.
0: I imagine throughout your journey, you've sort of seen yourself grow and develop personally as well as a leader. What sort of things have you learned about yourself as a leader?
1: You know, I think that uh, to be a leader, this is just to have maybe a little bit more vision that the member of your team have. You need to see it in the five or ten years perspective, that vision which developed not actually by me uh, as a COP of the project, but see the perspective for the country in this sphere, you know, and uh, and to make sure that everything just uh, moving in that direction. So I'm not talking now about myself as a COP, that I'm uh, talking about the leader, you know, real leader. So the leader must be a visioner. So the leader must see for years ahead and to make sure that, you know, all processes moving in that direction. This is first. And other things, everything is doing by the people. So without people, nothing happened. And to find that people who able to move in that direction, to develop them, this and other things, to recognize that people and to see their ability and to help them to grow. And uh, I think that again, leader must be able to hear what another uh, people saying and uh, to be able to adjust maybe your vision or something. And uh, I think that leader just must have uh, maybe to be brave enough to admit that in some cases he or she was wrong. Because, you know, all people can be mistaken. So the leader must have this uh, brave to recognize and say that
0: he was wrong. So let's do something different. And when you look back at your career, um, has there been anyone in particular who has been really influential um, in your life and in your career?
1: You know, I am actually Asian woman. The mentality of, you know, in Asia, just a little bit different than in Europe. And uh, without your family support, especially without support of your husband, it is just impossible to get something. Every successful woman uh, has a husband who supports her. I really know a lot of just brilliant women, but if her husband uh, never supports her, it's impossible to grow. And I was very lucky that my husband uh, was accompanying me with very difficult things and support me and agree with you know, inconvenient things like coming uh, home very late or spending the whole weekend for something else or, you know, just going to business trip and so on. So he just was helping for my through all my life and my career. And I'm very uh, thankful to him, you know, just for supporting me on my way.
0: I mean, it's beautiful to hear that. It's definitely hear the importance of family for you as you think about your success um, as a leader. And I know that working in public health, um, especially during a pandemic, you know, it really can feel like an uphill battle. And I know this is something that many of us are experiencing right now as we're navigating this really challenging time. For you, what what helps keep you motivated?
1: Yeah, it was a difficult time. I think that it, uh, this time was difficult for everyone in the world. You know, what helped that uh, I knew that uh, our work is needed and uh, that our project can make difference and make changes. And actually during pandemic, our project, because this is actually a medical uh, project and the pediatricians are very close to this uh, uh, disease. They know lungs, they know uh, lung disorders. So the member of my team they were very active to help people, uh, you know, with uh, the treatment of this, with uh, developing the new methods of infection control, train them. And then uh, because it was lockdown for people, it was very difficult to uh, get their drugs and their access to the health care becoming just much, much less. So it was necessary to develop mechanisms how the people could get their treatment. And we developed these rules and working with the Ministry of Health. So we were not just thinking, uh, we just were very active doing this. And uh, another thing... Uh, You know, uh, that uh, when we were sitting at home, it was our first year and we used this time as a uh, desk work to develop a lot of different instruments, tools, mechanisms, approaches. And actually, we, <laughs> the uh, Internet helped help us a lot. We just was sitting for hours <laughs> to discuss something. So, you know, I think that we were very, very active uh, during this time. And we knew mm-hmm. that our work is necessary to the people,
0: and it's helped. And so I want to just close out with what's one piece of advice that you would give to a young professional just getting started in public health?
1: yeah you know I think that uh, this piece of wisdom come from young people. I just uh, get some uh, word from uh, my young colleague and he said that this is not a problem this is a challenge and we need to address this challenge so if you consider all of that things which you know just coming uh, as a barrier on your, when you're moving, you know, do not consider this as a problem. Consider this a, as a challenge, which, you know, just really difficult to overcome. And it's really helping.
0: <laughs> it certainly is. It's a wonderful perspective. As, uh,
1: as uh, you know, just my own, I would say uh, that uh, it is very interesting to do things uh, which make people uh, People' life. So, where, whenever you work, whatever you're doing, you know, just if you think about people, if you think about uh, how to help people, you know, it really helps through all your life.
0: Dr. Anura Ibrahimova Thank you so much for your time and for this wonderful discussion. It's been such an honor to hear from you and hear your journey. And you just continue to inspire me and I'm sure our listeners as well. So thank you so much for sharing your insights and your story with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Thank you. Thank you a lot, Holly. It was really just great to talking with you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of We Lead, presented by Voices of Public Health, the JSI podcast. We'd love to know what you thought of today's conversation. Connect with us at JSI Health on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And share the episode if you liked what you heard. To learn more about JSI's work to improve health outcomes for all, visit our website at jsi.com.